It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy, and we've always got you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Let us know what's on your sports brain today. We would love to comment on it. Something that has stuck with you that you think, man, I got to talk to Rump about this. Well, you've got your chance. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. We've got a big show lined up. Dylan Sin will join us this hour, and Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com, of course, our favorite guest that we have on the program, and we tell him that just to keep him happy and keep him coming back, uh, and so Kent Sterling will join us, hour number two, and then uh, at the end of the sports rush, we hope you stick with us because, man, we've got a whole lineup of college basketball coaches tonight. I was going to say, yeah, if you care about area college basketball, tonight's the night to stay tuned in. Mastodon's Coaches Show follows the Sports Rush, and we'll have men's basketball coach John Kaufman. Tough one for the Dons last night, and it gets tougher. They go on the road now to take on Wright State and Northern Kentucky in back-to-back contests on Thursday and Saturday. And uh, we'll talk to men's basketball coach John Kaufman. Women's basketball coach Maria Marcasano will join us. They had a terrific win on Sunday. Uh, a lot of the women enjoyed the uh, celebratory Monday by being out at the men's game last night. Uh, we saw a lot of the women's basketball team in the stands at the Coliseum as they got the victory over Milwaukee after being down almost the whole game, including being down nine points early in the fourth quarter. They went on a run and held Milwaukee scoreless for over an eight-minute period and got a big Horizon League win at the Gates Center on Sunday. And we'll talk to Maria Marcasano about keys to that win and what lies ahead as the women will take on the same two opponents the men take on, but they will do it in reverse order and they will do it on the alternating days. So instead of a Thursday-Saturday schedule like the men have, the women will play at Northern Kentucky on Friday, at Wright State on Sunday. So everybody on the road this weekend, and we'll talk to John Kaufman and Maria Marcasano on the Mastodons Coaches Show. But like you said, Adam, it's a huge night to get your college basketball fix because after the Mastodons Coaches Show, then at 7.05, Matt Painter will talk about the big win against Michigan State yesterday. What drama right before we jumped on. We had to wait. I, <laughs> one minute of basketball took 30 minutes of real time. 
Yeah, it really did down to, down that stretch there. I mean, it was timeout here, timeout there. Uh, was this a foul? Who who how who went out of bounds? Who was it off of? Let's look at the review. Let's yeah. take a timeout, and then before we start action, the other team would take a time. You'd have back to back timeouts on the same. They saw their scheme. Now they call a timeout. Yes. It, oh man, it went forever, and finally. It was the Zach Eady bucket with 2.2 seconds left that won it for Purdue. But we'll have the Matt Painter show at 7.05. And then at 8.05, time to talk some IU basketball. And I think it'll be interesting to get Mike Woodson's perspective on the improved play of the Indiana Hoosiers as they uh, held Wisconsin to just 45 points at home on Saturday and winning 63-45. to And I think the big question is, how do the Hoosiers take that show on the road? Because they haven't shown that kind of energy. You've got to outwork teams when you're on the road. Because you already have some things going against you. Number one, the crowd. Number two, the crowd influences officials. If there's going to be a 50-50 whistle here and there, there's a good chance that they'll the percentages go against you. Because officials are human. They get caught up in the emotion as well. And so you've got to overcome that. And uh, and so they've got to show a little bit of toughness that they have not shown on the road and see what they can do against a good Illinois squad. Not a great team, but a good team. Illinois has a solid basketball team. And it will be a good challenge for the Indiana Hoosiers coming up on Thursday. And Mike Woodson will talk about that with, of course, our friend Don Fisher, as uh, it's inside IU basketball from 8.05 to 9 o'clock here at 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. But we've got to talk about Purdue. We didn't have much chance to talk about it yesterday because we really didn't have a chance to break it down because it was happening right up until we started the show. And so there wasn't a lot of breakdown as to what Purdue did down the stretch, what Michigan State did down the stretch. We were in here following every play-by-play call, Every whistle, every extended timeout, we were following it all sitting here saying, let's just cut in. (laughs) No. Let's just skip this. No, we would never do that. No, we wouldn't. But we thought about it. But we thought about it. You're darn right. (laughs) I was was like, they get till 445 to finish this game because I've got some good content that I spent (laughs) some time prepping. And by gosh, I'm going on with it. You can't play a two and a half hour game. When the sports rush is already delayed, right? I'm sure all the Boilermaker fans out there would love that. Oh, I'd have lost half the audience <laughs> if I'd have cut in. <laughs> so we gave you the finish of that one with Zach Eady getting the big bucket. In fact, I was fascinated with a couple of things from this game. Number one, Purdue got off to a great start. That's always important on the road. Set the tone early on the road. Give your own team confidence, but also take the crowd out of the game as much as possible. And then uh, Purdue did that early, and it gave them a chance to kind of get their footing and feel confident through that first half. So even though Michigan State did make the run late in the first half and they closed the gap to two points at halftime, um, I think Purdue had sent a message that we're fully capable of winning here. We're not intimidated by your crowd. I mean, that message was sent by the way Purdue started getting out to what was it, a 14-5 to lead, and then eventually – uh, I think it was even bigger than that. In fact, I think Purdue ended up with a 13-point lead at one point in that first half. And so the message was sent. Don't you know? Don't think we're going to be intimidated by this 
whiteout at the Breslin Center. And I don't know if it was a whiteout. I think it was. Was it a whiteout yesterday? You know, the only reason I say that is because when we listened to it, it sounded like a whiteout, if, if there's such a thing. Uh, but, but then in the second half, Michigan State went on runs. And a soft team probably would have collapsed given that kind of pressure, that kind of atmosphere, the energy and the wave that Michigan State was riding. You had uh, Tyson Walker just dropping in triples, and uh, and yet Purdue showed a toughness in sticking to their process, which primarily involved getting the ball to Zach Eady down on the low block. And Michigan State didn't change things up from what they were doing defensively. And I'm surprised by that. I thought at some point, play the first half man-to-man and see how it goes. But if I'm not mistaken, Edie had like 17 first-half points. He was the dominant player on the floor in the first half against the one-on-one down in the low block. And so I thought Michigan State would fire some double teams at Zach Eady a little more in that second half, and they didn't. The biggest play of the game, they allowed Zach Eady to get the post-entry pass, and all Eady had to do was drop step with the left leg, turn into the lane, and go over his left shoulder and basically just drop it into the basket. It was not a difficult play or a difficult shot for Zach Eady. It's one of his favorite shots on the entire court, And it turned out to be the game winner for the Purdue Boilermakers with 2.2 seconds left. And again, no double team. I'm surprised by that because, you know, if you look at uh, what Purdue was doing uh, from distance, Ethan Morton hadn't hit a shot the whole game. He was 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3. You could definitely double off of Morton. Um, You know, Caleb Burst, yes, he hit that big three late, but do you have the confidence that Caleb Burst is going to hit a second three-pointer? You could double with Caleb Burst, Sky. The guy you probably don't want to double off of is Fletcher Lawyer, and Purdue does a pretty good job of getting Lawyer and Edie on the same side of the floor because they did it on that play. They got the ball to Lawyer on the left side of the court. He dropped it into Edie, which gave Edie the ball on the left block, which allowed him to turn into the paint over the left shoulder, and use the right hand for the winning bucket. But I was surprised that Michigan State didn't chase him with a double. I think in that situation, a one-point lead, you've, you've got you've to double him. I mean, the guy's got 30 points at that point in the ballgame. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet that said that it was like putting a, a sock in a hamper. For, for Zach Eady, like just putting it putting it right in, like putting a dirty shirt in a in a laundry basket, kind of dropping <laughs> dropping a dirty sock into the like, hamper, like, like it was just that easy for him. You know what? If you really think about it, a hamper is kind of a fun funny word. I, I mean, I've used I've referred to hamper all my life, but but I, I call it more my laundry basket. Uh huh. Um. It is kind of a funny word. It's like a 70s word that you just came up. I mean, it's kind of a, I think it's more of a across the pond, more of like a British import word. Hamper. Put in the hamper. I like your accent better. Thank you. Um, So what did you think of that finish with the Purdue Boilermakers and Michigan State Spartans? 
Uh, I wonder if Sparty is tuned in. He's a big Michigan State fan, and I wonder what he thought about Tom Izzo's game plan to take your chances one-on-one with Zach Eady, but don't let Purdue get hot from three. And because uh, that was clearly what Izzo decided, you know, we can't keep up if they hit threes, but we can keep up if Edie hits an abundance of twos. And uh, Edie ended up in the game with those 32 points on 13 of 26 shooting as Purdue kept going to him. And, you know, that's the other thing is there was no envy, jealousy. It was Purdue realizing they had man-to-man against one of the toughest covers in all of college basketball, and they were not going to let Michigan State get away with that. Absolutely. We've gotten a couple texts about it uh, on our text line 46862. Someone said, I think an underrated part of Purdue's team that is overlooked is that the guards are so good at feeding the post. Edie is good, but the guards make him better. Yeah, and it's very tough, too. When you defend Zach Edie, there's multiple ways to defend the post. One is a all-out front of the post where you try to play in between the post player and the ball. But Edie is so big, you can just get it over the top unless you have a backside defender. The other is to try to get on the side, but Purdue is so effective at getting proper angles and feeding the post to the left-hand, right-hand, depending upon what side the defender is on. And Zach Edie's very good at sealing the defender. And when you've got a body that is that big, I mean, it takes – it's kind of like – uh but the uh, the earth rotating around the sun, I mean, it's, you know, it's it takes a while to get around Zach Eady. So if you're going to try to play him on the side and they throw the lob pass to the other arm, uh, that's a long way to go, either through the front or through the back. And so that makes it difficult. And then if you play straight behind him, you just allow that entry pass. And now you're man to man. And if Eady's allowed to catch it within three feet of the basket, it's almost game over. You can't allow that catch. So it is truly a catch-22 trying to defend Zach Eady in the low block. Yeah, I found the tweet. They said it was like placing socks in the dryer. Oh, the dryer. Okay. And then we got another text. They said, how exactly did Akins, Akins not get a flagrant foul when he blatantly plowed lawyer over and it clearly wasn't a play on the ball? Also, why does Tom Izzo always get away with dropping F-bombs and always talking to the officials? Any other coach except a select few gets a tech. It's kind of interesting because I would love to talk to my buddy who is an official because the officials know every coach, okay? And there's friends that you have that you just know it's their way of talking, right? And it's not that they're... It's not that they're out of line or they're demeaning you. It's that that's how they always talk when they want to have a conversation or, or, you know, or they argue a call. And it's just their repeated behavior. And uh, I think officials do become somewhat immune to behaviors that are considered ordinary. And I think for Tom Izzo, a lot of it is ordinary. Now, I didn't happen to see a situation. If there's a specific situation, I didn't happen to see it yesterday if he got across that line, like whether or not he left the coach's box, whether he came onto the court to confront an official. Uh, Generally, it's just Izzo 
being Izzo, loud mouth, foul mouth, <laughs> just giving it to the officials throughout the game. Yeah, we just got another text about Tom Izzo. Someone said, every time I think Tom Izzo can't be more of a whiner, I watch him coach and realize it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I was wrong. He can be. He can be more of a whiner. Uh, but uh, anyway, 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. You can uh, weigh in your thoughts on the Boilermakers. Big uh, back and forth win yesterday. I, I was going to call it come from behind, and I guess in some ways it was, but uh, it's not like they were 10, 12 down. It, I think what was the biggest deficit? Five points that right they there. were down. And, and in most cases, it was like a one or two point game down the stretch uh, one way or the other. I think uh, I think Michigan State had a four point lead with like three minutes left. Is that about right when Caleb first hit the three pointer and drew, drew them to within one? Because Caleb first had one three in the game, and I think it came late in the contest to make it a one-point game when it was a four-point Michigan State lead. And then from that point, it kind of alternated back and forth over the last minute and a half, which in real time took all of about 35, 40 minutes to complete. Yep, it was uh, 54-50 Michigan State at one point, and then first hit the three. Okay. Uh, So despite not seeing it, we still have the play-by-play down. Nailed it. There because we go. We've been sitting here listening to it, waiting for it to end. Uh, coming up on the show, Dylan Sin, he will weigh in on Purdue and what he saw as far as their toughness down the stretch. Was he surprised with Michigan State's defensive approach? And uh, how good is Purdue? Do we consider them a Final Four team? A team that we expect to make the Final Four? Or is it a team that you hope? And ride this to the final four. Uh, also, our number two, Kent Sterling, will join us to talk Colts and IU basketball as the Hoosiers get set to take on Illinois coming up on Thursday night. 46862, the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. A lot of text about the Purdue Boilermakers, about Tom Izzo and his sideline behavior. I didn't see the game yesterday, so I feel handicapped somewhat because clearly radio is not going to give us a play-by-play of Tom Izzo and what he is saying to officials. So (laughs) I completely missed that part of it. Yeah. um, I I just know when I've watched Michigan State, I know that Tom Izzo works officials, but the officials have become somewhat immune to it. And it's almost like... Wah, 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 right? Like <laughs> Charlie Brown. The Charlie Brown teacher. You yeah. just, you know, the the officials are like, yeah, listen, there's, there's Izzo <laughs> saying this. Probably the same stuff he says every game, right? Probably. Um, but uh, I didn't I didn't have a chance to see it, so it's hard for me to speak on exactly what that behavior was. Um, and I think when he does cross the line, both he and the officials know what that line is. And it's one of those things that over the time that Izzo's been, a, been not only a coach, which is, what, forever? Longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. And and you've got officials that are veteran officials that have been around for many years dealing with Tom Izzo. There's a certain mutual respect where they both know where that line is drawn. And even if Izzo appears to the fans, like the fans of Purdue in this case, that he's crossing that line consistently it's one of those where, well, that line's been drawn by the officials and by Izzo for many, many years, and he's just taking advantage of it. Some uh, some listeners uh, texting in on our text line, 46862. Um, they're kind of filling us in on what happened here. Someone said, can't believe he didn't get a T. He was clear out on the court chasing the red. 
someone else said Izzo came onto the court. Which would be ref, but it got auto-corrected. Yeah. Yeah. Izzo came out onto the court, got to midcourt, and was barking at the official angrily. Okay, that should have been crossing the line if that's what happened. Yeah. Okay, because I'll admit, there there are certain certain things you can get away with, and, and there are certain things that should automatically be a technical foul. And if you leave the box, go to the court, track down an official, which is what they're claiming, that should have been a technical. But, I, again, I didn't see it. I'm going by what our texture is telling us happened. <laughs> 46862, Parkview Sports Madison text line, 46862. Well, uh, looking back at this weekend in the NFL playoffs, what a victory for the New York Giants. Brian Dable has done such an amazing job taking over in New York. Uh, you know, you you end up with uh, Daniel Jones as your quarterback. You figure out a way to balance the offense. You still trust Daniel Jones to throw it. It's not just a run-all-the-time type of offense with Saquon Barkley. There's a lot of balance to it. Um, But you know what I started to think about? As we watched Brandon Staley completely blow the second half for the Los Angeles Chargers, and Brian Dable, another young coach, first-year coach, Brandon Staley, second-year coach, but a a coach without a lot of experience – and how Dable handled all the big game situations. And Doug Peterson handled things perfectly as far as his management, clock management, play selection, uh, use of timeouts. All of that was handled terrifically. And then you see inexperienced coaches who end up burning through timeouts unnecessarily, uh, take uh, the delay of game penalties that we saw. And so I... um I was thinking about the difference. Then I started to look at the coaches that are more successful against some that aren't. And with Staley, I think it's clearly a product of not being an offensive coordinator long enough or or a coordinator, uh, defensive, offensive, just being a coordinator. For Brian Dable, he was a coordinator and has been a coordinator for many years with different teams. Plus, he's got a resume that includes teams like Alabama working with Nick Saban, a very detail-oriented guy, right? Uh, McDermott in Buffalo. And so he's got a lot of experience in dealing with the details. Probably in his game prep, he has prepared not only a game plan, but he has probably prepared an alternate game plan So if they get a different look, he's got different options. He can make in-game adjustments. Last night, Peyton Manning was talking about the in-game adjustments. And he said, my uh, halftimes consisted of of, uh, getting a couple of oranges and going out playing the second half. But coaches who are going to be calling plays and setting up the strategy for the second half, they are making adjustments. There's no denying that the coaches are meeting at the half and saying, okay, what are the looks we're getting? How do we attack them here in the second half? And if you're a coordinator, you're actively involved in those situations for many years, even if you're not the head coach. But if you're just a quarterback's coach or if you're just a uh, special teams coordinator, uh, you might not be as actively involved in some of those meetings and some of those adjustments. And so you look, and and Brandon Staley just does not have the experience. That's why at times it looks like he's in over his head on the sideline. But the other thing is I I, I still think the Bosa helmet situation, where he fired the helmet down, and and the funny thing was Staley actually picks it up and gives it back to him. And what does he do as soon as he gets it back? He slams it again right in front of his coach. 
And I'm like, you've got to have discipline. I mean, that's rule number one. You've got to have a disciplined football team. And it was the lack of discipline that cost Los Angeles ultimately that game. Jacksonville showed discipline. The Chargers didn't. Chargers end up losing it on the last second kick. Uh, 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Yeah, I was mentioning this earlier. Mastodons lost their third home game in the Horizon League. And this is a team that has played so well at home. I think it's been, what, three or four years since they've lost a non-conference home game. They uh, Last year, I think they lost just once or twice all year at home. Most years, they only lose one or two home games total every year. And Coach Kaufman always says, if you're looking to win a league championship, you win at home and you split on the road. And right now, the Mastodons are not getting the wins at home. They've basically got to go on the road and steal some wins they probably shouldn't get. And that may start this week, going to Wright State and Northern Kentucky, two of the toughest places to play in the Horizon League. They've got them back-to-back. Thursday night, it's Wright State. And then Saturday evening, it's down in the Cincinnati suburbs, just across the river in Northern Kentucky, against Northern Kentucky, so appropriately named. And uh, they've got to get some road wins. And they've done it already this season. I think they're four and three on the road for the season. But they've got to they've got to go into some tough places and get some victories because they've given up home court three times to Detroit Mercy, to um, Milwaukee, and then last night to Cleveland State. Seventy two sixty ended up being the final. The Dons made this big run, got within four points. With, uh, what, about four minutes, five minutes left? And then couldn't sustain it. Cleveland with the better finish. 72-60 was the final. And, of course, we're going to talk to Coach Kaufman about that game and about the road trip when we have him on the Mastodons Coaches Show presented by Diamond Residential Mortgage coming up at 6 o'clock right here after the sports rush. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to get to this. That... uh, A lot of criticism about the broadcasting this weekend of the NFL games, specifically the broadcasting duo of Al Michaels and Tony Dungy. Not enough energy was the overall theme of what most people were were saying on Twitter. And so there was somebody on Twitter that decided to take it to the extreme. And when I say that, I mean they actually produced audio of one of the most dramatic plays of the weekend, and that was the Bengals' 98-yard fumble recovery that gave the Bengals the go-ahead touchdown against the Ravens when the Ravens looked to be on the one-foot line reaching for the end zone. The ball was knocked away, and a 98-yard return gave the Bengals the big touchdown, a defensive score. And, uh, And so instead of Baltimore taking the touchdown lead, which it looked like the Ravens were going to do, it ended up being Cincinnati that was on top 24-17. Obviously, big-time moment, and Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth were on this. I mean, they gave us a great call. Mike Tirico talked about him being at the 20, the 10, and he will score. And just the energy that he brought with the crowd made the moment as big as the actual moment was. 
But uh, Corked Bats on Twitter decided to give us that same play as if it was being called by Al Michaels and Tony Dungy, and this is what it sounded like. Third and goal for the one now. The they go for here. the sneak. Oh, the ball's fumbled. He's going. Run back by Sam Hubbard. He's going. Look at him go. He could go all the way. I think he's going to score. Go all the way. <laughs> and he does. That's a touchdown for the Bengals. <laughs> Holy moly. Holy moly. Wow. Oh, wow. 98 yards. Wow. Really exciting That's play. Long way. Wow. Definitely changes things. Big play. Definitely. That's a big play. Changes things. Yeah. <laughs> Look who's ahead now. So definitely uh, some criticism there of the uh, play calling. Imagine if we did an entire show like that. And welcome back to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump. We're going to be talking about the Indianapolis Colts today. Purdue got a win. I don't like it. Zach Eady made a big basket. <laughs> that changes things. <laughs> I don't like it, Brett. No, I can't do it. Cannot do it. We're going to uh, change the tone, and we're going to come back. we got Dylan Sin from the Journal-Gazette. He'll talk about that Purdue game yesterday, also about the Indiana game from the weekend where the Hoosiers locked down on Wisconsin like Indiana fans expect them to uh, play on the defensive end. And we'll talk to uh, Dylan Sin about what it means for both programs when we come back. You're listening to a Tuesday edition of the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Why do they bring the Girl Scout cookies, which was a very kind gesture, but they sit them here five seconds before we go on the air. What do we got here? Oh, yeah. You go ahead. Have a, you know, have one of the cookies. Ooh, Are I'm, they a lemon? Is French that toast inspired cookies dipped in delicious icing. Wait, that's got to be a new flavor. It's called I, Toast Yay. What happened to Thin Mints? I mean, that's... Uh, they sound good to me, though. We'll have to try those. Oh, man. I, hey. I love French toast. Now, are you a French French toast or pancakes guy? Oh, give me either. <laughs> <laughs> Put a couple of Don't both. Don't make me choose. Put a couple of both on my plate. I'm good. Wow, these do look good. We'll have to get into those. They actually later. look like a loaf of bread. We have a guest on the line, Brett. Oh, that's right, we <laughs> do. We gotta. We can't just sit here and have a uh, Girl Scout cookie party. Uh, let's uh, welcome our guest who joins us on the Masters Eating and Cooling Hotline, Dylan Sin, Journal Gazette. He's a busy guy, so I don't want to keep him waiting. Uh, Dylan, do you have a favorite Girl Scout cookie flavor? Do you have one? Yes, um, I am a big fan of uh, Samoa's. Those are my. Those the, are my oh, the Samoa's. Yeah, the chocolate and coconut is is has always been my favorite. I uh, I could you know I could clean out a box of Thin Mints by myself when I was a teenager. You know, it's just like I get home, I'd find that the Girl Scout cookies had arrived, and uh, that was it. Say goodbye to the Thin Mints; they're gone. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's Girl Scout cookie time for those uh, in our Fort Wayne area that didn't know it. So uh, find your favorite Girl Scout and get your cookies ordered. We've uh, fortunately got a, a a member of our management team here that has girls in in the Girl Scouts, and so he's got a a whole he's got like a Girl Scout cookie store in his office where you can go through and just pick the flavors you want. Uh, Dylan, we've got some sports to talk about. Uh, let's talk. Let's start with Indiana because that game came first on Saturday. Um, Indiana takes on Wisconsin, and of course the big complaint about Indiana is they weren't defending anybody, they weren't guarding the three, 
and against Wisconsin, it seems like they got some things fixed. Is that a permanent fix, or was it a home crowd fix? Well, it's unclear whether it's a permanent fix. We're going to have to see, because most of it was effort. I think that the improvements came mostly from effort, just getting out on the perimeter, guarding a little bit harder, putting a a hand in your man's face on a more regular basis. Um, And and I think there were still, if you you watch the game back, there were still a fair amount of time, probably too many, where, uh, especially in ball screen action, two IU defenders would run with the same guy around the ball screen leaving a wide-open three. Now, Wisconsin missed a fair amount of those, um, and that's why Indiana was able to hold them to 45 points. Um, but, but not every team is going to do that, obviously. Indiana is still miscommunicating too much on defense, so we're going to need to see whether that improves going forward. But at least it was encouraging to see more effort. And you can see what happens just with a little bit of an improvement in effort. The uh, You know, when I look at the Indiana roster, because without a couple of key players, both uh, Ray Thompson and uh, Xavier Johnson, both out of the lineup. I look at the the roster that that Mike Woodson has remaining, and I wonder where is the X factor? Where is the guy that's going to get the extra minutes? That's going to pick up the slack because you know you're obviously going to get some extra from Jordan Geronimo, and you're going to need that. But when you look at that group, like uh, Renew, Bates, Gunn, uh, Logan Duncan, a surprise five minutes in the game uh, against Wisconsin. Um, where where does Indiana get that boost off the bench? Because so often, here here's my point. So often, when you lose a starter, where it hurts you is on the bench. Because you take a bench player, put him in the starting lineup, and now all of a sudden you've got a weak bench. And so my question is, who picks up the slack from that remaining group that is still on the bench? I, I think IU wants it to be Tamar Bates. That would be my guess. Just because, uh, as we saw early in the season, he has the potential to be a perimeter scorer that is pretty dangerous, that can give you some significant minutes and some significant scoring. I think that's what Indiana is going to need going forward, is if you get the average type of game that you're usually going to get out of Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hunshafino, those are two very, very good players that are going to give you uh, a significant production if they play just their average game then you're going to need one more player. Now, usually when IU was rolling, it was either Thompson or Xavier Johnson was going to give that to you. Now you're going to need that from someone else. So I think Tamar Bates is the most likely option there. I also wouldn't be surprised uh, if uh, Malik Renew stepped up a little bit as the season goes on. He's been up and down. We've seen the talent from him. The ability is there. He just needs to put it together more consistently. So those are guys that IU needs to step up here as we wait to see whether Thompson or Johnson will be back this year. Galloway, Cop, Hood, Shafino, and Bates. Four names that need to hit perimeter shots. If they're going to take the pressure off Trace Jackson Davis inside, Indiana has to be better than one for eight from beyond the arc. Do you agree? Am I on to something? Uh, you are on to something, and I do think that Luckily for Indiana, they have shot the ball much, much better from three-point range uh, than they, this year than they have in the past. Um, the one for eight against Wisconsin was obviously less than ideal, but it was um, kind of an outlier if you look at their most recent games. Even when they, they've been struggling to win games, it's been mostly because the defense and the offense has been generally pretty effective. 
Um, so yeah, it, it was an outlier against Wisconsin. Hope that doesn't that doesn't become some kind of trend. Uh, the one that they did hit the uh, the one out of those that one of eight was actually one of the biggest shots of the game when uh, Miller Cop hit a three pointer late to uh, make it a sixteen point lead and kind of kind of slammed the door on Wisconsin's chances to win the game. So you hope that, that continues. You hope that uh, those guys, especially Jalen Hoshifino, who has been one of the best three-point shooters in the Big Ten, kind of out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people expected that from him. Um, but he's been very, very good. You just kind of hope he doesn't hit any kind of freshman wall and go into a slump. The, uh, yeah, it was funny because Miller Kopp was pretty quiet offensively all day against Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, hits that huge shot down the, uh, down the stretch. All right, so let's talk about the game coming up at Illinois, because this is my biggest point that I've made over the last couple of days, which is, you know, it's easy for a soft team to be a tough guy when they're playing on their home turf. Uh, but can they have that same toughness, that same edge about them going into hostile territory at, uh, at Illinois? What do you expect from the Hoosiers and the fighting Illini coming up on Thursday night? Which, by the way, this game's kind of important for both these teams. No, it absolutely is. Illinois is playing very, very good basketball right now. I think some people, including myself, quite frankly, might have written them off a little bit when they started 0-3 in the Big Ten. Brad Underwood was, was seemed to be snippy with some of his players. Sky Clark left the program, their five-star point guard. Um, and, and so you wondered, okay, is this team, has it fallen apart a little bit? Has, have things gone off the rails? And what's happened is they've won four in a row. Uh, they've beaten some good teams in that stretch, and they've won, ga- won some games big. I mean, they went to Nebraska and won by 25. We know that Nebraska is not as as uh, much of a pushover as it's been in the past. So Illinois is playing its best basketball of the season, and I think this is kind of a prove-it game for Indiana. You had one game against Wisconsin where, okay, you were tougher. You were better. You did more of what you're supposed to do. You got a huge win at home in front of your home crowd. Can you take that show on the road in a way that we haven't seen much from them this season. Can you get off to the kind of start that you get against Iowa when you went on the road and you're up by 21 in the first nine minutes of the game? Obviously, they're probably not going to be up 21 against Illinois, but can you get off to a good start and have energy on the road? We've seen it from Indiana before. They just have to maintain it for a full 40 minutes to give themselves a shot. And I think the one thing we saw from Purdue was energy on the road. In fact... Uh, I kind of feel like the thing Purdue has, besides Zach Eady, which is always a coach's best friend when you need a bucket and you've got a guy like Eady that you can just lob it into. Um, but the one thing with Purdue, when they face adversity, they have an answer, whether that's just execution at the offensive end or coming up with a defensive stop. Uh, they're just a mature basketball team. A lot of that, I think, is the coaching. A lot of that is the personnel. You had a chance to see this Purdue-Michigan State game, didn't you? I did. I was up there in East Lansing, yes. Uh, we thought so. And uh, and so you had a chance to see firsthand what Michigan State did, which was a totally unique strategy, and that is guarding Zach Eady man-to-man. Why did they do it? And <laughs> I know it's crazy to say, did it work when it's 32 points for Zach Eady? But in some ways... Uh, Michigan State had a chance to win this game despite the 32 points from Edie. What was the message that Tom Izzo was sending by going with that defensive strategy, and do you expect to see it from opponents in the future? Well, with Michigan State, that's kind of the way they play basketball under Tom Izzo. They don't like doubling the post. Matt Painter said leading up to the game that he didn't really expect them to do so. 
Uh, and there were a few times where they sent kind of a second defender into Zach Eadie's area without actually double-teaming him. But no, it was basically just we, they, they, their decision-making process was, we don't think that you can make a hook shot every single possession. And it didn't uh, help Purdue's cause that Edie actually missed some shots that he usually makes. He said that after the game, he should have had 40 to 45 points based on the, the number of shots that he missed that he believes he usually makes and should make. And so, yeah, he had 32 points and 17 rebounds. Michigan State made him work for every single one of them. He took 26 shots to get there. They didn't really put him on the line all that much. And then they basically said, okay, is anyone else on this Purdue roster going to beat us in addition to Zach Eady? And no one did up until the last five minutes of the game when a Fletcher lawyer completely took over, and that was enough to put Purdue over the top. Okay, so Fletcher Lawyer, I'll be honest, I'm surprised at the production that he has had this soon in his college career. Uh, I thought he was too light, not strong enough. I thought he was going to, when he drove to the basket, he would run into too many big bodies and have trouble finishing. And he's proven me a little wrong. So I've got to accept the, I, I got to accept when I'm wrong. Doesn't happen often, but I do have to accept it when I am wrong. But when you see lawyer play, I'm seeing a lot of the same personality that we saw from his brother Foster. They, they carry themselves with a certain swagger and confidence. And it doesn't matter if they're a fifth year senior or a freshman. They still are that guy that looks like they want the ball and they're going to be the assassin. They're going to be the guy that fires the shot that beats you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And Matt Painter said after the game when he was asked about Fletcher was basically, yeah, he's not scared of the moment. And that's what we've seen all the way going back to when he first got on campus over the summer. Uh, Zach Eady was asked about him on the very first day of practice and what, what his impressions were. And Zach Eady said, well, I, I wish I was as confident as him when I first got to college. Um, and, and that's kind of the first thing a lot of people talk about when they talk about Fletcher Lawyer is just the confidence he has in himself. And that has carried over. It didn't, it didn't take a hit when he got to college and realized everyone was bigger, stronger, and faster. He just said, I can still score at this level. I'm going to do it. And he has. Last night uh, or yesterday afternoon, Ethan Morton struggled. Um, it just was not his day. 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 3 from distance, and a minus 14 for uh, a guy that's considered to be the uh, Boilermakers defensive stopper. Anything uh, that you know about Morton? Were there any injuries? Was there anything else involved? What What were the keys, I guess, to a tough day for Ethan Morton? No, I, I think as far as we know, it was just a tough day. I, I mean, he had some open shots. It was Michigan State. If they were going to sag off of Edie, they were siding off of him with Morton's man, basically saying, hey, we want Ethan Morton to beat us if at all possible. And he missed a few open threes. He had some opportunities when Edie passed him the ball. He didn't make them. And he's struggled shooting the ball this year, despite being a very good shooter in high school and in his first couple of years on campus. Mm-hmm. And so as good as he's been defensively, you kind of want just a little bit more offensive production out of him because he also struggled down the stretch defensively yesterday guarding Tyson Walker. It, it, it was a rough day for Ethan Morton, and but he's a tough kid, and he's uh, he's a veteran, and he knows what he's doing, so I expect him to bounce back. There are those online on social media that are arguing against Zach Eady being player of the year, and I, I think right now he's a lock in the Big Ten, and I'm not even uh, going to deny him the national player of the year the way things are going right now for Edie. 32 points, 17 rebounds in the win against Michigan State yesterday. Um, and, and 
when Adam and I were talking about this during the break, the thing I brought up for uh, giving Edie some credit, I said, first of all, it's hard to display talent when you're shooting three to four feet from the basket. But the one thing that is a measurable, that is a tangible piece of evidence, is that Zach Eady played almost 37 minutes of that game. And you always know it's physical against Michigan State. And for a guy that's 300-whatever-he-is pounds, um, to play 37 minutes, that's pretty darn remarkable. That tells you something about how he's worked on his game and his personal conditioning. Yeah, and Matt Painter talked about that after the game yesterday, too, which was, He's always been in shape. Even when he came in as a freshman, they knew that he could play more minutes if if uh, they were available. But Travion Williams was so good that they, they had no problem splitting between 20 minutes for each. And so this year when Travion left, it was like, okay, can Zach handle 30? And Matt Painter was like, of course he can. He could have handled 30 last year. We just didn't need him to do that. We were going to keep both of them fresh by playing both of them 20 minutes a game. And so, yeah, he's been in very good shape. He's also been able to stay on the court because he stayed out of foul trouble. He's, he's done a remarkable job of avoiding fouls, uh, which for, for a guy who other teams are desperately trying to get off the floor by attacking his chest, it's really, really impressive for him to be able to do that. Dylan Sin, Journal Gazette, joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. Look forward to your coverage. What's next for you, Dylan? I will be in Champaign for IU versus Illinois on Thursday. There you go. Thank you so much, Dylan. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely, Brett. Thanks for having me on. Yep, Dylan Sin joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. We'll take a break. Coming up at hour number two, Ken Sterling will join us. Also a chance to win with Tuesday Time Capsule Trivia. Don't go anywhere. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.